If you get to the size where you're doing acquisitions, the one thing I will tell you is it always pays to buy the leader. <laughs> Every time. Yeah. You can pay whatever you need to pay for the leader, and then you can screw it up as an operator, you can make bad decisions, and you still win. Welcome back to Speaker Series Rewind, a podcast by High Alpha, a venture studio that designs and builds B2B SaaS startups. On this show, we revisit discussions from High Alpha's Speaker Series, a monthly event featuring industry leaders, successful entrepreneurs, and investors. For our very first season, we'll be joined by founders and CEOs across the country running everything from B2B software companies to international airports and packaged food startups. On today's episode, we're joined by Brad Wrencher, who's currently the CEO of Bamboo HR. At the time of this recording, though, he had just left Adobe, where he was serving as the EVP and GM of the Digital Experience Business Unit. Brad was responsible for Adobe's $3 billion-plus digital experience business, leading P&L responsibilities for one of the largest SaaS businesses in the world. This fireside chat with Scott and Brad was one of my favorites, though. It really dug into just a lot of incredible leadership lessons and just insight into what it takes to be acquired by a big company like an Adobe, how to lead without ego and just build a company that lasts and really got to see a lot of inside lessons from growing Adobe from 300 million in revenue to 3 billion in revenue. Even the end of the episode sheds a little bit of light on the strategy of launching Adobe's creative cloud and moving into more of a subscription business, which was incredibly insightful. So without further ado, let's just get into the episode. We have an incredible treat today. We're joined by a really good friend of mine, Brad Rencher, who is just a SaaS legend. And you'll hear his story of how he grew the Adobe Marketing Cloud to over $3 billion in revenue. And on top of all of it, he's just an awesome guy. So we're, we're really grateful to have Brad in Indianapolis today. If you could join me and give him a warm welcome, that'd be great. <clears throat> welcome. <clears throat> Brad, welcome to Indianapolis. Thank you. It's been, I, I, I mentioned to Scott, it's been a little while since I've been in Indy. Scott, back, way back pre-Salesforce at Exact Target, I was at, at Omniture and you invited me out to the Super Bowl. And came out and you were on the organizing committee. And I just remember walking around Indy and I'm like, this is one place in the country that I know of where you can walk to an NFL game and to an NBA game like in the same day. And you don't have to <laughs> No, right. it was, uh, it's an amazing city. Happy to be here. We're, we're thrilled to have you back. Brad and I serve on a board together, a company called Pluralsight. And we'll probably talk more about Pluralsight. Went public last May. Phenomenal company. And it's given me a, a refresher on just how remarkable the tech community in Utah is. And we'll talk more about Silicon Slopes and all the goodness happening in Utah. And we always feel like kind of sister cities. And I think we've always felt like kind of sister companies with Brad and, and the Omniture and Adobe team. But for those that don't know all your background, Brad, why don't we start there? Tell us a little bit about you and your background. Yeah, I, so I, and the reason that, that Scott's being so nice is I actually am, I am leaving Adobe like literally as we speak to where I'm off to the next thing. And and, and Scott and I have talked a lot about this is it's the closing of one chapter of my career and it's made me reflect. I am a reformed investment banker, believe it or not. <laughs> and I started on, on Wall Street. I don't know what it was like where you went to undergrad, but when I, where I was an undergrad, everyone did consulting or banking. Right, and I ended up on the banking track and worked 90 to 100 hour weeks and somehow, some way ended up in a SaaS <laughs> software company. And, but it's, it, I joined Omniture, I actually took Omniture public. So did the IPO and worked with them and got to know the, the founder and CEO of, of Omniture. And then I had gone over there. And then a year later, Adobe acquired Omniture. The, the CEO 
Josh James, who's, who's now started Domo, so he's got his, his next company, he's taken that public. He, he left Adobe, and literally I was the last guy in the building, and Adobe turned to me and said, hey, could you just keep doing this? And I said, <laughs> yeah, and that was the journey that we've been on for the last decade. It was about a $300 million business, and now it's a $3 billion business. And you think about SaaS software, and you guys are, many of you, if you're in a startup, we were talking about how hard that first million dollars of ARR is. It's so hard. It's so, so hard. It does get easier. <laughs> and it gets easier in that there was still a question 10 years ago whether SaaS could support multi, multiple billions of dollars in revenue and what that was going to be. And I think between Salesforce and Adobe and Workday and ServiceNow, I think we've proven that this, this beautiful business model that's there is scalable and, and you can continue to grow that. Beautiful thing, absolutely. I feel like we're catching Brad at absolutely the perfect time. He's still very fresh from his Adobe experience, but no longer a public company director. So I feel like you can probably just share all the secrets today. I mean, just let it all loose. Let it all loose. And it is one, I will tell you, to you reflect on your career, and you guys probably are better than I, better than, than I am in terms of this real self-reflection and saying, what did I do? What have I not done well? And as I reflect back over the 10 years of running this business at Adobe, the one big regret that I have is that as I was pulling into Indianapolis last, last night, there's a big Salesforce logo in, in Indianapolis <laughs> rather than Adobe. We, that's the, the exact target one is the one that got away. Um, we, we gave it our best shot. Uh, <laughs> we gave it our best shot. Scott and I have been determined to work together, and we almost had it. Absolutely, we absolutely. It. Uh, and you ended up buying Neil Wayne. Yeah. And the lesson that I will, uh, the, the big lesson there is, and, and it's the same thing as if you're ever looking to sell your company, it's a great lesson. But as you, if you get to the size where you're doing acquisitions, the one thing I will tell you is it always pays to buy the leader. <laughs> Every time. Yeah. You can pay whatever you need to pay for the leader, and then you can screw it up as an operator, you can make bad decisions, and you still win. When you buy the number two, number three, or number four, and then you're like, we're going to take that and go compete with the leader, you've got to be dialed into yeah. perfection to go and do that. So leader, leadership in tech is an interesting thing. It makes everybody look better than they probably are. That's a, that's a phenomenal insight and great wisdom, and I, I agree with that. There are a lot of topics I want to cover with Brad kind of within the Adobe experience, but while we're talking M&A, let's just go there. So I'd love to hear from you, Brad, kind of advice for early stage SaaS companies on how to partner with the Adobe's and Salesforce's of the world. And then when thinking about what an M&A path might look like, advice for these companies in the early stages, how do you even get yourself in position to be on the radar of a large company and be a potential fit from an acquisition perspective? Yeah, this is, a, this is one that I get asked a lot. And the quick advice that I, w- I will give is, one, start early building relationship. At companies like Salesforce or Adobe or name your, your large company, they're so busy and the, the purview that they think about is so broad to where you've got to start early to say, here's who our company is, do some integration work to where you see some joint customer value and start the conversation not with, hey, I want you to buy my company. Start the conversation with, Here's how we partner together to, to deliver joint customer value. The hard thing is that the whole theory of time at a startup and at large companies is completely different. <laughs> to where um, moving quickly for Salesforce or Adobe at this point is, hey, I'll meet with you June 15th and let's start the conversation. And to you, you're like, what? June 15th? Like, I don't, we're not going to be the same company then. 
And I think that you have to be really careful on your, on your expectations around just time management. And then two, as you start the conversations and as you start to do some of those integrations, be really careful. Um, you always, there's always this balance of they can overwhelm you with people and to where you can have your entire R&D department basically working on integrations that you have to really be confident that's going to it's going to get that relationship to where you want to be. So if you ever feel like they're just they're stalling, they're just not really committed, that's when you just got to pull back. Yeah, so it, it's a little bit of a give and take, as, as I would say, that you do that. But I think actually the exact target in Omniture case study is interesting to where we were both similarly sized companies, but we went deep with one another, and I see Scott here, on integrations and to where there was joint value there. And I think investing early is going to help. Because if a company calls me on a Friday night and says, hey, we've, Brad, I've got three offers. Are you in? And I'm like, I don't even know you. And so I'm not going to burn my team and everything to go and do that. The way you create the tension is invest early and invest in the technology to drive the joint value. To make it so easy to understand the why. That's really going to help you grease that conversation. Yeah, that's exactly right. So let's go back. So Adobe buys Omniture, really jump-started Adobe's move into the cloud. And, and I think one of the most brilliant moves in SaaS and modern-day technology is how Adobe shifted all the creative products into the cloud. Big risk, really difficult decision, and beautifully executed. I'd love for you to share more of that experience. Yeah, it, and uh, any creative cloud users in the room, I mean, it, uh, thank you for that. Even as I'm leaving, I still am a shareholder. I appreciate that. The, but Adobe's an, an interesting story to where there's been two big transformations over the last 10 years. One is to build one of the largest enterprise SaaS companies in the world. But even in the core business, there was a massive transformation. A few years ago, you'd go into Staples or Office Depot and buy Photoshop for $1,500 and get a disk and you take the CD and you would install it on your desktop. That was our business. And it, was, you know, it wasn't that long ago. It wasn't. And the interesting thing is when you really start to look at that, think about your R&D cycle on that. Like, we, did our engineers only work every 18 months? No. Every day they were creating new, new features, new innovation that was going to go into Photoshop or Lightroom or Illustrator. And you know what we did? We said, if anyone talks about this, like, you're in trouble. Because if anyone finds out this is coming, they won't buy the current version. And we're in trouble. And for those if, if in the room, if you guys are SaaS and cloud natives, you, you can't, you're like, wait, how is our, our value where we have an asymmetric relationship with our customers? Like, our business model didn't actually support what we wanted to do. And the move to the cloud was all around customer value to where now our data scientists can you know, come up with, my favorite feature is content-aware fill in Photoshop. It's like magic. Hmm. To where literally you can take a picture, you can take a picture at the Eiffel Tower and what is so annoying about when you go to the Eiffel Tower, these, these beautiful places, there's too many people there to get a great picture because they're all over. Content-aware fill, you just like highlight <laughs> those people, you hit a button and they all leave. <laughs> and you get back to a perfect picture. It's magic. <laughs> And now, as soon as that's developed, the next day, it's in the product. And, and we know through, through, through the cloud, then customers get value, they stay with you. And that was really the big transformation. But it was hard. As part of the leadership team, how difficult was it to make that decision as a public and, company? And, and really pivot from this kind of one-time licensing fee model to recurring revenue. And there, there had to be a big dip before things picked up. 
It was, I remember we were at the Millennium Hotel in New York and we went in front of our investors and we sat as a management team the night before and said, what's going to happen? Is our stock price going to get cut in half? If you get cut in half, you get acquired. Like at that point, Microsoft's, okay, that's cheap. I'll pick you up I, with my walk around money. Like it's, it happens. And so we said, okay, we, our, our narrative to investors was, we're going we're gonna to do this, transition to the cloud. We're going to reduce revenue by about a, a billion. And that was, about, that was a 30% drop in revenue. And profits are going to drop by two-thirds. And <laughs> Hang with us. And, and then the punchline is, this is a good thing. And it was a, a gut check moment as a management team. And, and actually, just as a funny aside, the next day, the stock went up 30%. <laughs> did really? Because I think investors saw our conviction around what the cloud was going to be. And what, what I'll tell you is the best thing that we did is we, we burnt the boats. There was no going back. By committing ourselves so publicly mm. to investors, to our customers, to our employees, there was no backsliding. Because if you've been in with your teams before, sometimes you make decisions and then the next day, the next week or the next month when it gets a little hard, you're like, yeah, I like... I want to dial that one back. And there was no going back. And when you're committed at that point, that's the only way to, to I would say, get over that hump. Second thing I will tell you is if you need to, if you need to drive organizational change in your businesses, and you do no matter what the size is, we all have parts of our culture that we need to change, parts of our business we need to change. What was so successful for us is finding, and it wasn't always at the top level, it could have been two or three levels down, those people who love change, those people in your organization who like every day, if, I, if we're not changing, we're losing, and embrace them as change agents and empower them to tell the story at the water cooler, in the cafeteria, wherever they are, Find those people and empower them to help you drive that cultural change. And we did that. We call them basically our change agents, mm. the bright spots in the organization who we knew we could invest in, and they were gonna, they were with us. That's so impressive. That's so impressive. The CEO of Adobe, who Brad's worked hand in hand with for years, his name is Shantanu, and brilliant, very successful, also very low-key, like very below the radar. I'd love it if you talk a little more about Shantanu as a leader. And then he's also famous for having a tussle with Steve Jobs. Maybe you can share that story also. Yeah. So, for, yeah, first thing. So, Shantanu is, he's definitely the, the, the most humble Fortune 500 CEO you're ever going to meet. Now, this is a, as a group, not the most, um, I would say, humble group of individuals <laughs> in the world. But, and this is why I love, I think I, I love the business community in Indianapolis because it's a high EQ, high functioning, great tech scene, but it's not ego led, it's not ego first. And I, just, I believe that ego led businesses, to me, are just less attractive than businesses where it's about the business, it's about the work, and it's about the team. And, and actually, I was really sorry to see the Pacers get swept. Because <laughs> Thank you. I, I think the Pacers are, you lose Oladipo, you do that. There's some great business principles in there to where the, the strength mm. of that team was the team. Absolutely. It was, there was no one there. Strength of the team was the team. And I think that's the way businesses should be built. And Shantanu has built the business that way. And he is, he's not a, his sweet spot is not standing in front of 20,000 people, which he does, and tell, and tell a big story. His strength is sitting with a product team, sitting with the sales team, and grinding on operational details to the last degree, which is very different Josh, who, who was the founder of Omniture, like 
he can't stand up operations. <laughs> right, like right. That's, he's like, I can't commit to a meeting at eight o'clock. I show up when I show up because I'm creative. And and Shantanu is just he just has 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 taught me so much and I've learned so much just in terms of it is a grind. And you have to embrace the grind and bring the best of you to that grind. That's awesome. What was the tussle with Steve Jobs? Was it over Flash? It was over Flash. Steve Jobs wrote, and this was, think about this as a leader. Shantanu had been CEO for a year or two. Brand new. Like, brand, brand new. new. Unknown, and, unproven. And you inherit, you, you have products that you were like, well, I didn't build Flash. They acquired Flash through Macromedia. And, and the most powerful technology figure in the world takes an afternoon and just writes a blog that while why your product and your company needs to die. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. That's a and what do you say? You're like, uh, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's right. I, and, and so he did have a, a tussle there. And the interesting thing is the Adobe and Apple go way back. So John Warnock, who is the, one of the, the co-founders of Adobe, still on our board. He's, both our co-founders are in their 70s on their board. You, think, wow. you talk about building a company that lasts and a culture that lasts. We have a, a founder's award every year, which is the highest award that any employee can get in the company. And the founders host a dinner for the founder award winners. There's 15 every year. And they tell the same story every year. And they said, when we built the company, they, they were at Xerox Park. So if Xerox could have actually harnessed all the people that were at Xerox Park, we would, we, it wouldn't be Amazon we're talking about. It would be Xerox because the most talented technologists in the world were there. That's true. And, and all the, their founding of the company was very simple. They said, we founded a company where we would want to work. And that was it. They started a company where we'd actually want to go to work. And, and 35 years later, it's still that way. And, and yeah, so Steve, but Steve Jobs and John Warnock are good, were good friends. Because when Steve Jobs built the Mac, there was nothing you could do on it. So Adobe was the first one that there was a technology called PageMaker that actually let you do oh, yeah. page layout for digital publishing on the Mac. And so they were in the garages together. And so it was, there was some hurt feelings on the Adobe board to where it's like, Steve, like, why are you throwing us under <laughs> right. the bus? But it was one to where it actually, the moment I would say of crisis, of real crisis, drove a clarity um, of purpose that propelled Adobe. At that time, we were a, we were a, a $15 billion market cap, which for a startup sounds, okay, like you made it, you're on the other side. That's a very... That's a middling company in the public markets. Like, you're okay size, not big enough to really do any damage, but not too small to go out of business tomorrow. And Adobe today is a $135 billion market cap. So we've 10X'd in the last 10 years. And to do a 10X at that size, it was propelled and caused by some of these, try these trying moments, the refiner's fire. And that was certainly one from a leadership standpoint. I think it'll surprise this group to know who from Indianapolis is on the Adobe board. Yeah, so we've got, we've got Dave Ricks, CEO of Lilly, um, who's on our board. He joined about a year and a half ago. It's been a fantastic addition to the team. And it's interesting because you look at Lilly, and it, is, it may not be a tech company in the purest sense, but it, it's an IP-driven organization. And long investments in R&D that, that we don't even have the patience for. As an investor, Scott, you've got to have patience. Yes, yes, like, you do. Best in like... Because those IP cycles are so long, and so Dave has really just brought a long, like we spent, in 90 days last year, we spent $7 billion in acquisitions. Bought two companies, Marketo and Magento, in 90 days. And, from, and to build the, the marketing cloud, the experience cloud, we spent $10 billion over 10 years, and we spent seven of those last year. So it was a very, those 90 days during the summer were 
were, were intense. But Dave played such an important part of that conversation because he's, when Lily goes to do acquisitions, they play big and they play to win. And, and he brought this such a, a clarity of purpose and thought to those conversations to where he's already added a, just a ton of value to what we're doing. Were you just looking to make a big splash before you uh, stepped aside? I'm yeah, like, it was. Try, like, drop the mic? Uh, it, it was. It's, Adobe's out of the market now, so there's no, nothing more interesting to do for a couple of years now. But it, was, it, it really comes back to, I learned from Exact Target, and I'll, it's in all transparency to where you have to play to win. I mean, if you're not playing to win, then I think that you're going to regret it for years. And so we were very aggressive. Yeah, congratulations on yeah. those moves. Those are really big yeah. ones, really big ones. Let's talk just for a moment about just the enterprise cloud strategy. So culminating yep. in the big acquisitions, yep. but what's the strategy to Adobe look like over the last five years or so as you've moved more aggressively into the enterprise cloud and you know, ultimately built a really very big and successful business? Yeah, I, first, we, we uh, feel like we've had a, pl- a part in creating and then when you see a space coming together that you feel like you have a role to play in, you have to just drive a truck through it. Yeah. And if you look at CIOs, CMOs, kind of C-level executives for all the companies around the world, what are the top three things that they're really, what are their pain points right now? What are, where are those buying centers? One of those, I would say, certainly is anything to do with security, privacy, compliance is, is a space where some people look at that and say, that's not a sexy space. I say the words compliance and I feel bored myself. It, <laughs> it, but it is, I'm telling you, if you have a play in security, privacy, compliance, now's your time. Like, drive a truck through that. The second is really around cloud and the move to the cloud. And this is why AWS, you know, Azure, Google Cloud are doing so much. If you can enable move, the movement of data, transactions to the cloud, I think it's a, a wonderful space to be. And the third one is the area that I think that we've been playing in is that is, I think there's now a notion that it used to be that you competed in whatever market you played in around price and your product. If you had a better product, you would win. Or if you priced it more aggressively, you would win. That's no longer the case. People are winning and losing based on the efficacy of their experience they provide to their customers. And this customer experience theme in whether you're in tech, whether you're an automotive retailer, whether you're, you're a large CPG manufacturer, just a quick story. I was in, was in London six months ago sitting with Unilever. And executive offsite. So CEO of Unilever, Paul Pullman, who's since resigned and is headed off to retirement, but their entire leadership team. And they said, they said something really inter- interesting. They said, Brad, you know that three and a half billion people a day use Unilever products. You want to talk about wow. engagement? Three and a half billion people every day use one of their products. And then the follow-up was, and we don't know who a single one of them are. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Because they, their, business is, their business model has evolved over decades to where they're separated from their customer. And they said their number one strategy was to create a, essentially a customer data warehouse, a big understanding of who their customers are for a billion people. Hmm. And that was their strategy over the next 12 to 24 months. If Unilever's doing this, then what does the tire shop or, or the local business here, how are they thinking about their customers? This is how you win or lose. And I just think this is such a fundamental transition and trend that's going to happen for the next 10 years that is really going to propel and drive businesses forward. And that has been what has been the win that's been at Adobe's back. That, I think this is the win that was at um, Exact Target and Salesforce's back and will continue to be for the next decade. We're not done. Yeah, that's awesome. Two, two follow-ups I'd love to ask to that. One... So a lot of dialogue around product-driven growth. What does that mean? Yeah. I'd, I'd love to get your perspective on that. And then two, 
the whole idea of creating a new category, owning a new category, the kind of narrative that sits over top of the, the pricing and the product. Those are two topics I'd love for you to expand on. So which one do you want me to hit first? Let's go product-driven growth. Yeah. The, As a part of customer experience. Yeah. I, I think the... And so when you say product-driven growth, just so I make sure I understand what you mean when you say that. <clears throat> the movement for many early-stage SaaS companies to drive go-to-market through product and add enterprise sales teams much later. Think Atlassian, think Pluralsight. Think Zoom. Think Zoom. Just love to get your perspective on kind of that new movement, that new trend, why it's working, how you thought about it at Adobe. Yeah. And it's, I well, certainly it is from just an efficiency standpoint is, the, is how enterprise software companies are going to be built. Because... I actually, my theory is there's going to be less than 10 scale enterprise selling organizations in the world at any given time. You think today you've got Salesforce, you've got Adobe, Oracle, SAP, Microsoft, maybe ServiceNow is maybe getting to scale, Workday. But like you run out of names really fast for who are the scale enterprise software selling go-to-market organizations because it's so expensive to do. You, to do that at scale. So the, our only option to build businesses in the future are to have the, these, this product-driven approach. How do you take the, the friction out of that model to where it starts to reinforce itself versus you have to have a salesperson have every conversation? It's just not gonna, it's not gonna work. No, absolutely. How about that Zoom IPO? Was that just a thing of beauty? The thing that I, the couple things that I love about that, the business model and everything, and the product's great. Yeah, absolutely. I actually love that Eric... The founder was at, was at Cisco for 15 years. And he founded the company at 40 years old. And, and, and was not a, not a traditional, hey, I started this. He understood that industry so deeply. to say, And then he said, you know what? I'm going to go and I see, I see an opportunity. And I, I just think that sometimes the, and, and many of you probably, as you founded your companies, you may have done that after a long tenure at a company like Cisco, or you may have done it straight out of, out of uh, university. Everyone's got a different story, but sometimes I think it's good to see someone like Eric to say, hey, look, he, he, was, an, he was a mid-level engineer at Cisco, and look at what idea he created. Adobe, they were mid-level engineers at Xerox Park and created one of the, the longest you know, lasting tech companies in the world. And Eric's focus was, I want to build a product that people love because I'm in an industry where users don't love the product. And he knew it. And he knew exactly what to build and brought the right uh, ethos to, to that company and, and how they build product and how they delight customers. Really impressive. And I actually, that, why am I in Indianapolis? Because I think the same thing can happen here to where you look at, you, I look at Scott McCorkle. I love Scott McCorkle. I think he's one of the most brilliant technologists that I've ever met mm-hmm. as he went through that. And the fact that Scott was running the Salesforce marketing cloud as CEO, and he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go and do it again. That takes a a drive and a commitment to technology that's uncommon, and I think that's inspiring. Awesome. That's awesome. Let's talk category creation or owning the narrative around thought leadership and owning a category. I think an example I've marveled at recently is Qualtrics shifting into experience management and SAP agreeing. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, in a big way, right? Yeah. Uh, how, how do you think about owning a category? How do, how do you think about it at Adobe, or how do you think about it more broadly? And, and this is one, so let's talk category creation, because this is one that, that we talk a lot about in the industry. 
do you have to create a category to have a successful company? The answer is absolutely not. Like you can attach yourself to existing category and just do that, create a derivative of an existing category versus just renaming the, the category again. But category creation is powerful. And, and it would be a debate on, with Salesforce and Adobe around the, the, the marketing cloud category creation, whether it was a co-creation co or how we did that. But it happened and now, no matter where you go in the world, people talk about, I need a marketing cloud. And the, once that work's done and it topples, it's an amazing, it's the, one of the most amazing hmm. professional things I've ever experienced to say, man, I don't have to work hard, like that hard anymore to convince people that this is what they need to do. And Qualtrics is a great example. If you don't, if you don't know the, the Qualtrics story, this was a company that was um, recently acquired by um, SAP for one of the highest multiples ever in SaaS software for $8 billion. Founded by a professor at, at BYU. And, and so it was the, the co-founding team was a father and then his two sons. And, and he started it because he is a professor. You get, public, you get paid to publish research. And he wanted a fast technology-driven way to go out and say, eight out of 10 people believe that, that, that you should do X, Y, Z. So he wanted a fast way to do research. And so he got his, his you know, son who, you know, who was young and said, hey, let's try to create something around this. And then his uh, second son was an engineer at Google and they convinced him to quit Google and come and, and do this company as a family. And at the core, Qualtrics is a survey platform. Like you say, I want to ask these five questions, right. drag, you do that. You send it out, you, you get emails, and we've all gotten those. Then people fill that out, and you say, oh, NPS or this or whatever that is. Yeah. It's survey software. How do you sell a survey software company for $8 billion? <laughs> You don't call it a survey software company. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but you create a narrative yes. around a category in an industry. And this is one to where I do have some insight on this one because... Ryan Smith, the son who is a CEO, we did experience management together in the Adobe boardroom in Lehigh. Like we really created it out because he said, what do you see? And just like what I talked to you guys a minute yeah. ago, I'm like, customer experiences, this is how the next 10 years of companies are going to be built. And he's actually, I've been thinking about the same thing. And because he surveys, we get feedback. And what happens right now, Omniture was web analytics, right? So you measure all these digital actions and behaviors that are happening. Well, that tells you something. I can tell you what happens like all day long, but can I tell you the why? Hmm. Can I tell you why someone came to your website, added something to your shopping cart and left? I, I can't tell you why because I don't get that data. And so what Ryan's key insight was, hmm. it's this is the what. This is the why are your customers doing what they're doing? And what's happening? And because this is the one place to where you can go and get, someone will write a comment and say, I added it to the shopping cart, but then I looked and I found it cheaper somewhere else. And so I left. And it's, okay, that's an insight that now your analytics team, rather than guessing what's happening, just looking at the, di the digital behavior, to do that. He saw this as completing the digital behavior loop that everyone was trying, Google Analytics, Adobe, others were looking to provide, and just drove a truck through that. It was amazing to watch him do it because he's, this is survey software. I, he could have been survey monkey. And it's like, all I do is surveys and I do surveys better and better every year, but he's no, there's this experience management, there's customer experience. There's also, what other key parts of experience are there? Employees, hmm. your employees are on the front lines. Well, what's your employee NPS? Started to create these categories and built a business. And he had, he was 
at the time of the acquisition, I don't know the exact financials, but he was at least a half a billion dollars growing ARR 30, 40, 50% with survey software. And the tech was good, but he is a go-to-market and narrative ninja. He's that good, and that's what he did. So it's a great case study, and uh, you described it beautifully. It's creating a narrative, owning a category, and then I love your analogy of just driving a truck through it, just having clarity and velocity in really owning the category in every way imaginable. It's how you win. It's how you win in software. It's how you create new categories. I'm going to go one other kind of topic area with Brad, one, yeah, I, and then get your questions. Can right. I go just yeah. this one thing there? The one thing on the narrative, and I saw you do it at the exact target, and you guys as founders already are probably already doing this, you have to tell your story so many times, you might get bored. And you're like, I've told this, I, like, no, I, there's no one else in the world that can tell this to. Trust me, you have to tell it for years, every day, every moment, and stick with that, refine that to do it, because that's how, that's the only way. It's great advice. Okay. I've always marveled at Benioff talking about 111, or there, there are slides in the Salesforce deck that literally haven't changed in 20 years. And it's just, it's repetition, it's conviction, and it's continue to create a, that bigger vision, that bigger narrative. Let's talk Silicon Slopes. There's yeah. kind of magic happening in Utah, an extraordinary number of SaaS and cloud breakouts. And on top of it, you and other leaders have created a special bond and relationship to create an organization called Silicon Slopes and really market the region. It's enviable. It's what I hope Indy can replicate in her own way. And I, I'd love for you to share more of that. Yeah. So Silicon Slopes is the overall marketing name for what we're trying to brand the ecosystem in Utah around. And it's a nonprofit organization. Like we, we fund it. We do that. It, we do advocacy for with the state legislature, other things that we need to get done for the ecosystem. But at the, the beginning, it really was an idea that we want to create something larger than you know, any individual company because we don't have an Amazon anchor tenant of that size. It's just, okay, that's what the industry and the community is. So we, we did little funny things like everyone's press releases. It didn't say that you were in Salt Lake City or Provo or different cities. It said you were in Silicon Slopes. So everyone's press releases said we're building something in the Silicon Slopes. That's Slope. subtle, but that's really clever. And public companies yeah. with press releases saying Silicon, Silicon Slopes. Slopes. People are like, what's Silicon Slopes when they look at the, the press release? And it's helped us create this because what we're trying, to, we're trying to do is have large companies like Adobe who are there. And then now with Pluralsight, Pluralsight going public, the board that Scott and I are on, they're now at a different tier. You have an $8 billion exit with Qualtrics and SAP still investing in the region. But what we really are being thoughtful of, we want to create a real like layers in the ecosystem to where there's 500 to a couple thousand um, employee organizations. There's, there's organizations that are a couple hundred employees, and then there's 50 employees, and then there's the startup to where we look at the, the layers of the ecosystem to make sure that we're reinforcing value at each of those, because that's the way that you get to escape velocity as Absolutely. an ecosystem and as an industry. And so much like we're doing, you guys are doing here, like we get together, there's chats. One, one great example of this, there's a company called Canopy Tax. They're looking to disrupt tax preparation software, not for the individual, but for the tax preparer themselves. And, and so SaaS-based had raised $70 million. Like they're, they're, they were growing, I think they, 10 to, 10 to $20 million of ARR. They had been, they got into the market disrupting with one product, but were building the super duper product that was coming behind. Guess what? Product development sometimes takes longer than you thought, burns too high. Two months ago announced basically had to lay off most of their sales and marketing wow. department. 
So a bit of a reset. So tough as a CEO founder, this is, these are the, those are refining moments. It went viral because these employees who were going out, they actually were posting about how well they felt they were treated, they loved the company. It was this like moment. Hmm. And Silicon Slopes, the ecosystem, literally 10 companies proactively created a job fair the next day. Wow. Showed up at the Silicon Slope space and basically told all those employees, like, show up, we'll be there, our recruiters will be there. Had an ad hoc, like, ecosystem moment. And that, that to me was like, okay, that's what we're building. It's not about one company, and if one company's failing, like, how does the ecosystem jump in to, to, to reinforce and help? That's amazing. So there's a ton of capital pouring into Utah companies, but not a ton of capital in Utah, not a lot of venture capital in Utah. Is that problematic or is that fine? Is it just okay to have that yeah. capital pouring in from other places? There are some VCs there. I wouldn't say there's a, a top tier like um, VC that's there. But the one thing that may be a little different than Indy is, what's the flight Indy to New York? Flight hour, time. Hour and 20 minutes. Hour and 20 minutes. Easy. So like Indy is to the East Coast, yeah. Salt Lake is to the West Coast. Yeah, absolutely. And so the Silicon Valley VCs, it's an hour to an hour and a half flight to Salt Lake City. So getting them on the plane to come and, and visit, and all of them, you know, not all of them, but a large percentage of the VCs have ski houses in Deer Valley or Park City. <laughs> right. So helps. they're like, that wait helps. a second. I, I like that you started out. with all of them. So, yeah. so let's, let's yeah. say near all. Near right? all. Yeah. Some of them it's still true. try it's to true. drive to Tahoe. And so there is a, re there's a geographic, yeah. I would say, element that helps attract capital. Yeah, sure does. Sure does. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Hopefully you have as well. Thank you, Brad Rancher. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. Speaker Series Rewind is brought to you by Hi Alpha, a venture studio that designs and builds B2B SaaS companies. If you're a fan of the show, leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can also subscribe or find additional content at highalpha.com slash podcast. We'd really appreciate any reviews. It'll help us reach more awesome people like you. Catch you next time.